Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Malka Sports. Learn more about them at M-A-L-K-A sports.com. I've wanted to do this show for a while. Um, Every once in a while, we can get into the weeds, but we also try and make it educational for our audience. And a lot of people don't understand what cryptocurrency is, including Bitcoin. A lot of people don't understand what an NFT is. Uh, We're going to explain that to you today with Joe Pompliano. He is the founder and investor of Huddle Up. So he's going to join us, and he does a great job of explaining this to our listeners so everyone can understand it. You know, we all know what regular currency is, but what's cryptocurrency, what's Bitcoin, what's NFTs? There's a lot of terms out there that people may not be familiar with. And then how is it impacting the sports space? Because, you know, we're seeing companies like FTX working with Tom Brady and Steph Curry. FTX has a 19-year naming rights deal on the Miami Heat arena. Aaron Rodgers is taking part of his salary with Bitcoin. Um, This is really growing. It's not just a fad. It's here to stay. When you see 19-year naming rights deals, you know that that's going to be around for a while. So we're going to get into cryptocurrency and NFTs on our show today. Griggs, also a big announcement. The next Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo is going to take place on November 10th, and my guest is going to be Big Ten Conference Commissioner Kevin Warren. He is one of the most powerful commissioners in all of college sports. He's done a great job so far. The Big Ten is having a great year with football. They're going to certainly be in the mix with at least one, if not a couple teams when it comes to the college football playoffs. So really looking forward to that conversation with Commissioner Warren on November 10th. Brian Griggs joins me now. Griggs, how are you? I'm good. And I've been looking forward to the show with Joe because, uh, man, you can learn so much from this today. And like you said, it's kind of on the cusp and, you know, everybody's kind of starting to figure out what this is. Well, he does a great job explaining it. I learned a lot just from the interview. So I know a lot of people are going to get a lot from this today. Just good insight and uh, really good explanations of what the uh, crypto is. Well, and a little plug, Joe's got his own podcast coming out on sports business. So uh, go to Joe Pompliano on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. And he's got a great newsletter with almost 50,000 
uh, subscribers, and he's now got a podcast coming out. So more sports business content and uh, good stuff from Joe Pompliano. All right, let's look at some sports business headlines before we get to our conversation with Joe. You know, we talked about the World Series and how last year Dodgers raised lowest rated World Series of all time. Griggs, the numbers are not looking great for this World Series. It's not as bad as last year, but it's going to be a bottom five rated World Series ever. If it goes seven games, that will certainly help Fox. But here's part of the problem. All right. Uh, Paul Hembo on Twitter pointed this out. These are the average end times for the World Series. Game one ended at 12.15 after midnight. Game two, 11.20 p.m. Game three, 11.33 p.m. Game four, 11.54 p.m. And game five, 12.15 after midnight. Those are all Eastern times. Each of the last 29 World Series games have ended after 11 p.m. Eastern 11 of those have ended after midnight. So baseball talks about growing the game. Baseball talks about getting better TV ratings. When you're ending games that late, you're removing a large part of your audience, kids and young people and people who have to get up for work the next day. It's just not good. I'm not saying play these as day games because people have to work then too, but there's got to be a way to start these a little earlier so they're not ending so late. And, you know, baseball is a slower sport anyways. So, you know, if you have a lot of pitching changes or you have big innings on the offensive end, these innings can take forever. But it's not hard to see why the ratings for these games get lower and lower every year. Yeah. And then you talk about a game if it goes into extra innings. I mean, you're, some of these games go till 1 a.m. in the East, you know, because you get a 10, 11 game, you know, you know, some of these games go extra and it's like, OK, now it's the middle of the morning the next day and you're still watching this game. And, you know, we talked about in the past shows, too, in the playoffs before you get to the World Series, how they bury them on these networks you can't ever find. So there's just a lot of stuff that I think baseball needs to pivot around to make these games more watchable. And, uh, you know, I've watched about one, maybe one and a half games out of five so far. Yeah, I have really just watched highlights. Uh, you know, to me, the moment of the World Series, Dansby Swanson. And uh, I can't remember who the other player was. They went back to back with home runs. And, you know, that was, that's the game. I think it was game five and the Braves won three to two in that game. But, you know, they're just, usually there's like signature moments of the world series. And, and I can't really think of any in this world series. And I'm just not that interested in it. They have done a better job of not putting themselves up against the NFL in the last few years. But does that really help? No, because the ratings go down every year. So, And then you have Commissioner Rob Manfred, who has said himself, well, baseball is a regional sport. If that's the case, then baseball is doomed. You know, on the national stage in the World Series, you're just going to have these types of audiences every year. So, you know, we'll talk to you next week and we'll tell you what the final numbers are because the World Series will be over. But right now it's looking like a bottom five least watched World Series ever. It won't be as bad as last year, which was the worst ever, but it's going to be bottom five. All right. Another headline, Body Armor, which is a sports drink, sold to Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola already owned about 15% of the company, and they said, you know what? We're going to buy the rest of it this past week. 
They spent an additional $5.6 billion to acquire the remaining equity stakes. And there were several athletes who became very, very wealthy after this sale went through, led by the late Kobe Bryant, who had 10% of the company from the beginning, 2014. He bought it for $6 million. Griggs, his payout to his estate, so his kids will get this, $400 million. That's more than he earned during his entire 20-year NBA career. Great to see this investment pay off for Kobe Bryant's family. Sad that he's not around to see this big day because he was one of the visionaries behind this company. But, you know, Andrew Luck and others also had stakes in this. So as I tweeted out, if Andrew Luck had any thoughts about returning to the NFL field, probably not anymore after getting a few hundred million dollars from this payout, he can stay retired, travel the world and play golf. It's just incredible. And you see why we talk about, you know, athletes always doing these endorsements. We talk to athletes themselves and coaches and everybody else is doing endorsements. This is why they do endorsements because the payout sometimes in most cases is way more than they're ever going to make on the field. And guess what? You probably don't get hurt by signing a body armor contract. So yeah, I mean, you can see why endorsements are huge. What a big buy for Coke. And you know, they're going to market this like crazy. You're going to see a lot more body armor on TV and everywhere else. So uh, yeah, it's a big move. Yeah, James Harden, another one of the athletes who was part of this and, and got paid out handsomely. But you're right. You know, we've had Sue Bird on recently. We've had a lot of athletes on over the years, and they've talked more and more in recent years about, you know what? I make a decent amount of money. So I'll take equity in this. And this is the like poster child now of the upside. Like, you know, before this, I think it was uh, beat by Dre. And LeBron James got paid a few hundred million dollars for being an investor in that. When they sold to Apple, LeBron got a lot of money from that deal. Now you look at this deal, and again, you see that Kobe Bryant's $6 million turned into $400 million. He was already making a ton of money as an NBA player and from other endorsements like Nike. So you can take a flyer on this kind of thing and say, all right, I'll take 10% equity in the company. And then, you know, this is what happens. So more and more equity deals for athletes out there, they're willing to take a risk on the upside if the opportunity is right. All right. Our last headline, it's the NFL trade deadline. And Vaughn Miller of the Denver Broncos was traded to the LA Rams. And these are always interesting. So Vaughn Miller was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Denver probably wasn't going to re-sign him. They're in rebuild mode. So the Broncos get a second and a third round pick in the 2022 draft in exchange for the eight-time Pro Bowler who led the Broncos to a big Super Bowl win a few years ago. And as part of the trade, the Broncos are paying $9 million of his remaining $9.7 million salary. So you're basically paying him $9 million to go away and you get the second and the third round pick. But Griggs, what I paid attention to here is SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles is hosting the Super Bowl in February. The Rams want to get there. Stan Kroenke wants his Rams playing in that game, the first Super Bowl hosted at SoFi Stadium. And the Rams are all in on this now. And they've got Aaron Donald. They've got Vaughn Miller. And 
Uh, they've got Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, they went out and got Matthew Stafford. So they're like going all in to try and get into the Super Bowl. And Griggs, this would be the second consecutive year if the Rams get in where the team who plays in the stadium is also hosting the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay last year, the Super Bowl was in Tampa Bay and the Bucks beat the Chiefs in that Super Bowl. Yeah, pretty cool to have the home game. That'd be interesting, too, if it was back-to-back years, like you said. But SoFi is going to look great for the for the Super Bowl. And the Rams, obviously, like you said, are fighting for that game. They're really adding some assets to their team. Von Miller's a great pickup for their D with it that is already good. So, um, yeah, they're fighting for it. They're going for it. Trade deadline's always exciting because you get some pretty big names get moved sometimes. So that's a big trade. All right, coming up next, Joe Pompliano, founder and investor of Huddle Up. This is a great primer on cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin. We'll also talk NFTs. If you've wondered for years, like I have, what do these terms mean? Why is sports embracing this the way they have? Why are athletes getting paid in Bitcoin? Why are NFTs selling for millions of dollars? What does this space look like? This is a really good segment. It'll be educational for you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger here. In addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the co-founder of the consulting firm Everything is on the Record. Since 2007, we've been working with CEOs, corporate spokespeople, pro sports team owners, athletic directors, elite athletes, and coaches to help them navigate the tricky media and social media landscape. My business partner is Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. As part of a new partnership with e-learning platform Open Sesame, we are now offering many of our teachings via on-demand courses available on video. Courses include presenting your best self in a video meeting, your personal brand is connected to your employer's brand, pause before you post, text, and email, and scrubbing your social media. To take any of our insightful video courses on demand, visit opensesame.com and type in the words, everything is on the record in the search. That's opensesame.com. To learn more about how we can provide a customized training session for your organization, visit everythingisontherecord.com. That's everythingisontherecord.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Joe Pompliano. He is an investor and founder with Huddle Up. He's a great follow on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. You can sign up for his free daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com. Joe, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to be here and thanks for having me. All right. Before we get into this segment, you have some great bet on yourself stories. I want to hear your path to where you are right now because I think it's inspiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to, uh, I spent a short period of time in college at Octagon Sports Agency. Growing up with four brothers, I always thought that uh, I was either going to be a professional athlete, which I I learned very quickly wasn't the case, (laughs) um, or or I wanted to be in sports somehow. So that turned to the business side. Um, Unfortunately, Fortunately, also, I got an opportunity to go work uh, in finance on Wall Street at J.P. Morgan after school. So I took that. I worked there for a few years. Um, I was on the fixed income desk there on the wealth management side. Really great experience. Loved my time there. Uh, but you know, after four or five years, I just figured that I wanted to get back to sports somehow. I just knew I was missing it and wanted to see if I could give it one more try to make a career out of it. So I started writing a daily newsletter called Huddle Up, which you mentioned previously, and I started tweeting. 
So it was really just uh, born out of passion, right? It was two things that I really enjoyed, which was the business side and the sports side. So the, the newsletter went really well. I was able to gain some followers on Twitter and all of this stuff. And now it's become my full-time uh, career here, which is great. So how many people do you have subscribed to your newsletter? It's like almost 50,000, right? Yeah, I should hit 50,000 here within the next day or two. Explain to our audience, because this is not an easy, you just describe something and you make it sound so easy. Like, oh, I started a newsletter and I started posting on social media. You have built an enormous audience with hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. And again, you've got this successful newsletter. What's the recipe to building a brand or, you know, in this case, getting follows for your content via a newsletter and on social media? Well, that, that's quite the compliment saying uh, I make it look easier, make it sound easy because it is not easy, as I'm sure you and your listeners know. Yeah, they know. Uh, building, yeah, b- building an audience is hard, right, regardless of kind of what industry or, or your focus is. I would say that the, uh, the one thing that I leverage a lot was social media. I built uh, a, a big audience on Twitter, and I use that as a funnel for other platforms. So the newsletter, I don't know exactly. I could look later on about kind of what percentage of people came from Twitter directly, but it's a large percent. It's probably 60, 70, 80% of people uh, discovered the newsletter from Twitter and then people share it. You know, you, you do podcasts like this, you go on the radio, you do other things and uh, it starts, you know, that network effect takes over and more people are enjoying it. Your content gets better, et cetera. But I would say the two things are just, you know, it has to be really good content and then you have to find distribution, however that is. So, so some people will, um, you know, do whatever they can to find that distribution. Maybe they'll reach out to people, ask for retweets on things. Maybe they will share their content or ask other people to share their content. I would say the one, the biggest thing that I learned was just, uh, just to go for it, right? Like as someone who didn't have much experience, um, not only from a writing side, but within the sports business media landscape, it was just like, you know, what's the worst that happens, right? Put yourself out there and go for it. Uh, and, and I think it's gone. And that's one of the main reasons why I think it's gone well. You are a prolific tweeter, um, I have talked to Rex Chapman, who is also a prolific tweeter. And, you know, Rex started out on his own. Now he's got a team of people who help him. And he also has, you know, hundreds of people who send him videos and content every day. So it's made his job a little easier because the content comes to him versus him having to seek all of it out. Are you at a point where you're still finding all of your own content or are people sending you stuff and you're able to use that as part of your content? Yeah, I would say, uh, well, first off, to answer your question directly, it's just it's just me. Um, so I do all of the social media stuff myself. And that's the challenging part, right? Like it's cross-platform. So it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's LinkedIn, it's a newsletter, it's you know Facebook at times, whatever it might be. But there's a bunch of different platforms that you have to really uh, concentrate on. It can get a little time-consuming. But I would say that there's certainly some help from people, right? Like if, if someone sees something interesting, they tag me in it or whatever, and I'll right. try to give them credit where I can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just me. And I would say that probably is the most time consuming part, but when you start to break down what adds the most value, Twitter has added an immense amount of value for myself, not only, uh, personally, but financially and through the newsletter. Right. So, uh, it's certainly a platform that I put a lot of focus on and it has, uh, extremely high upside from the quantity and the velocity of followers you're able to gather very quickly. Well, you're doing a great job. You're one of my favorite follows now. I feel like I can follow you and get a really good sense of things that are going on. I mean, I tell people all the time, I go to Twitter as my number one uh, news feed every day. I wake up and first thing I'm looking at is is Twitter and you're one of my go-to follows. So you've done it's, a really nice job. I, it, you're, you're 100% correct. Someone asked me the other day, because one, one of the questions I, I mostly get, there's two really, which is kind of how do you break down 
uh, your day and your schedule and everything. It seems like you're doing a bunch of different things. But the other one is just where do you find your content, right? Because uh, anyone who's putting out kind of unique stuff on the internet or aggregating other things or whatever it might be, uh, everyone wants to know where are you finding all this stuff, right? And I would say uh, they, when they asked me that, they said, what is your number one news source? And my answer was Twitter, right? Because Twitter is by far and away, in my opinion, the best source of content on the internet. And as someone who hasn't always used Twitter, right? I signed up for Twitter less than two years ago. Hmm. So uh, it was something now that I look back and I'm like, why isn't everyone on Twitter? And, and there's some kind of nuance to that, right? It's not the best for everything and it's not for everyone, et cetera. Uh, but for someone who is interested in learning, whether it's sports, business, et cetera, Twitter is a great resource and a great platform to do that in real time. And what are you up to now? Like 345,000 followers on Twitter? Uh, you're shooting me a little high there. I'm, uh, I am at 315. Okay. I mean, that's still pretty good for someone who just started yeah. two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really started tweeting in, uh, in in July of last year. So it's been a little over a year now. All right. At Joe Pompliano on Twitter. All right. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is, you know, since I've been doing this show for 17 years, sometimes we get really into the weeds on things. And other times, you know, I say I, I want my family to be able to understand the things that we're talking about on this show. I don't want to get too into the weeds. And there's a few terms when it comes to investing um, that I wanted to discuss with you today so our audience kind of has this primer and can better understand the term. So let's start with what's an NFT? Because a lot of people are talking about NFTs. You've got Tom Brady, who started an NFT company called Autograph. This is a big, big deal. But a lot of people, when they hear the term NFT, they're like, what is that? Can you explain to our audience what an NFT is? Of course, yeah. Uh, so an NFT stands for non-fungible token. And the easiest way to look at this, you'll go online and you'll find a million different uh, kind of ways to describe it. And a lot of them are good, but my favorite one is non-fungible really just means that it, it's it's unique and it's non-interchangeable, right? So they're not the same. And the example I always like to use is if you and I were sitting in a room and we each put $100 on the table, $100 bill each. Uh, we could mix them up, right, and, and throw them around and say five other people come in and they do the same thing. We start mixing them all up and everyone takes one at the end. It doesn't really matter because a hundred's a hundred dollar bill, right? My hundred costs the same as your hundred, and we could still go do the exact same things with it. Where it gets tricky is if you put Picassos in there, right? Paintings, and you all put paintings in there, and yours is real and mine's fake. And we switch them up, and then uh, you take the fake one and I take the real one. That'd be a pretty bad deal for you, right? So the NFT aspect of it is basically just ensuring that it is unique. Uh, it is verifiable and it's in the digital world. So uh, an example of an NFT is people will find these, uh, it can be done with art, music, et cetera. It's basically just filing something as um, unique and, and non-interchangeable in the digital space. And, and the po most popular one is probably CryptoPunks right now, which you've seen probably online. And what that means is all it really is saying is that someone is owning that on the blockchain. You can point directly to Orange it. You can see every time it has changed hands, at what price it has changed hands, et cetera. Um, so really all an NFT is, is it's a digital collectible. And it allows you to uh, determine who the buyer is and track it in real time online. Last Thursday, someone bought a CryptoPunk NFT for $532 million, Joe. That's crazy. So... Why would someone pay $532 million for a CryptoPunk NFT? So this is a good question because um, what they did was actually they, they, they uh, essentially were trolling or trying to trick people. Uh, that specific sale. So the most expensive NFT ever sold, I believe right now, uh, and people can fact check me if I'm incorrect, but I believe it's Beeple's 
sale that went through Christie's or Sotheby's last year that sold for 60 or $70 million. So that was the most expensive NFT ever sold. The most expensive CryptoPunk, I believe, is somewhere between $10 million and $15 million currently. So still astronomical prices, but nowhere near $523 or $535 million, whatever it ended up being. What that user did uh, was they they did what was called what is called a flash loan. So they essentially borrowed a large large sum of money uh, and they bought the NFT within seconds in a different wallet and transferred it back without and paid back the loan. So mm-hmm. it was a non uh, basically they were just tricking people online. And I think what they were really trying to do uh, was make that NFT unique. Right now it has a story. If you think of art, most of art sells based on a story. Right. So Banksy. Um, he had the famous painting that sold a year or two years ago, and it half shredded or it self shredded when it was sold at auction. Three years later, it sells for four to five times the price, right? So it's all kind of a story. And I think what they were trying to do was create a story around that. But the other issue that uh, came up from that was people just trusted it less, right? They said, is this money laundering? What is happening? Why is this selling for $500 million? So there's some kind of uh, cat and mouse game there. But I just believe that they were, they were messing around. Um, but yeah, certainly there are CryptoPunks and other NFTs that are selling for that five, ten, fifteen million dollar range. What are some of the sports NFT sales that stand out to you? And again, you know, I'm looking at Tom Brady, who's got this NFT company now, Autograph. He's signed Gronk and a few other people to his platform. It's become a big deal in sports. Yeah, it's certainly become a big deal in sports. And I think there's a couple angles to look at this, right? So um, NBA Top Shot was probably the first major player on the space that in the scene that grabbed a bunch of attention, right? There were uh, people on TV talking about it. it. It certainly dominated the headlines on Twitter and other places. And really what that was is they were just, they, they brokered a deal with the NBA and they took highlights and turned them into digital collectibles, right? So it got a lot of value very quickly. Um, and it, it's certainly come down a little bit since then, but it looks like it's somewhat sustainable, right? There's certainly demand for it. There are people that are interested in collecting those items. So that's great. Then there's another aspect of it, which is what you're talking about with Tom Brady, where he actually owns the platform, right? He owns the the company called Autograph. And what they're doing is they're going out and acquiring uh, exclusive rights to the the IP uh, on the NFT side in the digital space of certain athletes. And I think what this tells us, right, is that the IP of not only these leagues like the NBA, but these individual athletes has been under monetized for a long period of time, right? If you're telling me that you can go out and get 10, 15, 20, or $50 million dollars for your specific IP in the digital space, your name, image, and likeness, then that's very that's very much that your uh, your IP was undervalued in the past. So I think that's one thing we're seeing. Um, Tom Brady's done a really good job at focusing on that aspect of it. He, I think he signed deals with Tiger Woods, Naomi Osaka, obviously himself, uh, and a bunch of other really good athletes like Derek Jeter, et cetera. So he's taken one approach to it. Um, there's other platforms that are doing a similar approach or companies doing a similar approach. And then there are leagues uh, that are partnering with specific companies to go out and do these same deals. I think um, you know the NBA is certainly doing it. The NFL is going to be doing it. Uh, and a, a couple other leagues are, are, are certainly looking at it. Let me break this down to a specific example. So NBA Top Shot, you mentioned them. If Zion Williamson has like the most amazing dunk and there's video of it, um, is there an opportunity to turn that into an NFT and then someone like owns that video and anyone who would want to use that video has to come to that person who has the NFT to get the rights to use the video? Or how does that work? The way it works is, yeah, the NBA has... Uh, contracts in place where they allow certain platforms and and, uh, other uh, business units to be able to use this footage. Top Shot is one of them that is allowing them to monetize on top of it. The NBA receives a portion of that sale. Um, But yeah, you would not be able to uh, go in and make highlight videos or all this other stuff. 
Now, is the NBA going to come after someone on YouTube that makes, you know, a, a small video or something? No, I don't necessarily think so. Uh, but the thing is, like, if I saw someone's NBA Top Shot highlight, I screen recorded it and I called it my own. The, the, the interesting part and the, the part that adds a lot of value uh, to the NFT space is that you can verify that on the blockchain, right? It, it's this thing of not trusting people, just verifying it. So you can actually go on the blockchain and see who has owned it at what period of time, has it changed hands, what price did it trade at, et cetera. Um, so I think the, the value of that is really being able to determine through the blockchain who owns each asset. Okay. So for people listening to this going, what in the world is the blockchain? Explain what the blockchain is. Yeah, so the blockchain is uh, it's a database, essentially, right, that stores data in blocks that are chained together, blockchain, right? So um, it, when it comes to Bitcoin specifically, a lot of these and, and Ethereum and all of these other uh, crypto assets and cryptocurrencies trade on the blockchain, right? So it is an immutable ledger. It cannot be changed, right? And it is recorded into history. So it's essentially etched in stone. The easiest way uh, for, for a quick little summary of this or example, it would be like if you and I were playing Monopoly, right? And we don't have a banker. It's just you and I playing. And when you go around the board, you collect $200, you buy properties, et cetera. And after every uh, transaction, say you bought a property or say you got your $200. After every transaction, I would write it down on a piece of paper. And I would say, I agree, you agree, right? And you would agree and I would agree. And then I'd write the next one down and I'd write the next one down. And then after 10 minutes, I would take that piece of paper and I'd put it to the side. And we do it again for another 10 minutes and we'd keep playing. We do it again and again and again. And eventually those papers keep getting moved to the side and stacking on top of each other. That's the blockchain. All you're really doing is you're verifying each transaction with the network. Everyone is saying, okay, that makes sense. That's what I saw also. And then they're putting it into history and it's and it's uh, etched in stone essentially. That's a great explanation. Uh, next term, cryptocurrency or crypto. Explain to people what that is. Yeah, so – uh, a crypto in its simplest form is just a form of payment that's exchanged online for goods and services, right? So there are certainly companies in the past that normal people have dealt with that have crypto uh, assets, which are just tokens, right? So if someone gives you um, you know, a, a token to their business or something that you can exchange online, that's a cryptocurrency. Now, there are more legitimate forms of cryptocurrencies that have popped up, right? Using blockchain technology like a Bitcoin, right? So I, I personally uh, speak about Bitcoin a lot. There's obviously other assets. Ethereum is the second largest. There's Solana. There's a bunch of other crypto assets that you'll see online. Most of them have some kind of utility or real value. And then there are what they'll call meme <laughs> cryptocurrencies, uh, which were the, the Dogecoin and the Shiba Inu and those ones, right? So speaking about Bitcoin specifically, Bitcoin, uh, I, I think the easiest way to think about Bitcoin is it's just a decentralized digital currency. And what that really means is that no one controls it. So there's no central bank and no single administrator. Uh, and it's a peer-to-peer -peer network that there's no intermediary, right? So when you think about the U.S. dollar, we have a Federal Reserve, we have a government, et cetera, that can make policy changes and implement the money supply in the economy. And it changes a bunch of other things, right? So they have the ability to go out um, and implement changes in our currency. Digital currencies, Bitcoin specifically, do not have that ability. So there's no one that can go in and make these changes. It's decentralized. It's not controlled by anyone. It's, an, it's based on an immutable ledger like blockchain, and it's a peer-to-peer -peer network. So you do not need a bank to transact. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. As some of you may know, in addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the founder of the Sports PR Summit. We've been building something very special there since when we launched in 2013. Noteworthy people such as Adam Silver, David Stern, Jamel Hill, Grant Hill, Tom Rinaldi, Lisa Leslie, Michael Vick, Jeremy Schapp, and Stephen Ross are just a few of the names who have joined us on stage to provide unique insight. 
We recently introduced the Sports PR Summit Collective. It's a way for everyone to stay in touch 24-7, 365. The Collective is the next evolution for our community of PR practitioners, media, and athletes. You'll find a counterpart day and night to ask and answer questions, share your inspiration, connect with colleagues, and celebrate victories. The technology that powers the Sports PR Summit Collective allows us to bring more valuable resources to our members and the industry. These include a members-only job board, a mentorship program, industry awards, courses in skill building, networking opportunities, and mastermind groups. You'll also still have the opportunity to attend our annual Sports PR Summit event in New York City, in person or virtually. And for the first time, we're also allowing access to students and entry-level communications executives. If you're a PR practitioner or a member of the media or an athlete, this is the community for you. Visit sportsprsummit.com for more information and to join the Sports PR Summit Collective. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. So if you're Tom Brady and you have Bitcoin and he says, I'm giving the fan who got my 600th touchdown football a Bitcoin and I read that that's valued at $63,000. How is that value set that Tom Brady says, I'm going to give you a Bitcoin and the value is $63,000? Well, the easiest way to think about it is it's just supply and demand uh, via market functions, right? So it's the price the same way anything else is priced, which is just what are you willing to pay for it? And right now, that price for Bitcoin today, as we speak on Sunday, uh, is $60,750, right? So um, the easiest way to think about Bitcoin specifically is it's a fixed asset, right? So there will only the, the code, the mathematics behind Bitcoin, the network, say that there will only ever be 21 million printed. Right. There's a halving schedule. So every four years, the reward for miners is cut in half. Miners are, are the people running the network that are rewarded and paid in Bitcoin for their services. There are currently, we'll call it uh, just under 19 million Bitcoin in existence of the 21 million. So a significant portion of that is in existence. So when you start to think about price, uh, and, and I don't want to go too far into uh, predicting what the price might eventually be. But generally, the easiest way to think about it is it's an asset where the, where the uh, supply side is fixed relative to other money, right? So the US dollar, the supply side is not fixed. Other currencies, the supply side is not fixed. And what I mean by that is, if you think about the last year, the last year and a half, just during COVID-19, the pandemic that we've experienced, governments around the world have printed over $20 trillion, right? So massive amounts of stimulus and money has been pumped into the economy. And in most cases, in some cases, they're literally just printing excess money, right? They're creating money. And what that does is it diminishes the value of your currency, of your dollar, right? So anyone who has U.S. dollars sitting in their bank account year over year, that money is worth 5% less. And you don't realize that because your $100 is still your $100, which makes a lot of sense. But when you go to buy something, that good is worth 5% more now, is is 5% more expensive than it was last year. So what we refer to that as is just the loss of purchasing power. Right. And the idea behind Bitcoin is that it protects that because no one can go out and print money. It is a it is a uh, fixed constraint supply. We know exactly how much is there. The, the federal uh, or the fiscal policy, monetary policy behind the U.S. dollar can change at any moment. Behind Bitcoin, it is scheduled. It was based on math. Right. So uh, the U.S. is in a unique position because while our inflation is high right now, five percent, it typically trends near two percent. Right. But when you go to other countries, um, not only are there certain countries where 
you know, 70% of the country like El Salvador, Afghanistan, Nicaragua do not have bank accounts. So 70% of the population do not have bank accounts or access to their money. But there's also uh, countries that have 10, 15, 20% inflation, right? So literally you can go in a coffee shop in the morning and the price changes by nighttime. That's not a stable economy. And that's that that's a uh, an economy that Bitcoin can help. With. So interesting. Um, and we're even seeing some athletes now that have said, pay me in Bitcoin, right? Some football players, some NBA players. That's interesting that that's what they're asking for. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a bunch. And I think it's it, it's interesting, right? Because um, as someone who talks about sports business, and I'm sure y- you have a similar feeling, the, the notion behind athletes has always been that they're done with their money, right? Like there was just I remember stats produced by CNBC a while back. Uh, it must have been five, 10 years ago at this point. But it was essentially saying, you know, all athletes within a certain period of time, 70 percent of them are going broke. ESPN did the the E60 or 30 for 30 on broke. Um, so th- there's a lot of conversations around athletes not being good with their money. But the conversations that I've had with athletes have actually been the complete opposite. Right. And maybe I'm fortunate enough to speak with the ones who understand it versus the ones that don't. But my whole feeling with athlete is um, so, so just to get into the specifics of the guys that have been public about it, Russell Okun uh, announced last year that he was taking 50 percent of his 13 million dollar contract with the Panthers in Bitcoin. So the way that works is uh, he was set up with a company called Strike. And just as direct deposit would put your money in your bank account without you ever actually receiving a physical check or going to the bank. This does that with Bitcoin. So the Panthers send the money to Strike. Strike sends the money to his Bitcoin wallet, and it's in Bitcoin before he gets it. So he was essentially just facilitating the process of buying Bitcoin directly from the team. Uh, he was buying, and I know he's been buying for a long period of time. So at 60-something thousand, he's up a lot on that investment, right? You're, you're never necessarily up unless you uh, profit from the trade. But the, the feeling I get from Russell is that he doesn't plan to go back to U.S. dollars, right? He is opting out of the system. He is trading in money that he believes will eventually be a main currency within this uh, within the global economy. Saquon Barkley is another one who said uh, he was going to be putting 100% of his $10 million of endorsement an- income annually into Bitcoin. So auto converting it the same way Russ did with Strike. And there's been a bunch of other players that have done endorsement deals. And I think the, the general way to think about this is there are certainly some players that believe in it enough to do 100%. There's a tight end named Sean Culkin, uh, who was on the Kansas City Chiefs, who said, I'm going to be taking 100% of my NFL salary in Bitcoin. So that's one end of the spectrum. There's another end of the spectrum uh, that is a guy like Cade Cunningham, who is an NBA basketball player. He was the number one overall draft pick. He signed a deal with with BlockFi, and the deal with BlockFi paid him in Bitcoin. And the feeling that I got from deals like that are – a guy like Cade Cunningham is going to make a lot of money, right? I don't know exactly what the number is on his rookie deal this year, but he's going to be making tens of millions of dollars over the next year, two years, three years, four years, et cetera. And this Bitcoin that he's getting is just one portion of his portfolio. So if you start to look at um, the case for Bitcoin in general and you just compare it to other assets, you can certainly look at inflation hedged assets like gold. But even if you just compare it to the S&P 500, it's been the best performing asset over the last 10 years since its inception. So this year alone, I was looking at the numbers earlier. Bitcoin's up about 350 percent. Gold is down 5 percent, despite us seeing record high inflation. And then the S&P is up 40 percent. The S&P in a typical year up 40 percent. It's amazing, right? It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. But to see Bitcoin continue to appreciate in value 350 percent this year, over the last two years, over 500 percent, over the last three years, a thousand percent, right? Over the last five years, almost 10,000 percent. So that cannot continue forever. Uh, and as more people adopt to the network, you would assume those go down. But the idea that you only have to worry about the demand side of the equation because you know that there's only going to be 21 million helps facilitate that idea much easier. That's an incredible explanation. There's a company called FTX, and 
they have become very big in the sports space. They've made headlines by signing Tom Brady, Giselle, his wife, and Steph Curry. Um, they have the naming rights deal on the Miami Heat Arena in Miami. There's a company called Storm X, which is the jersey patch sponsor for the NBA's uh, Portland Trailblazers. These are companies that are really putting a lot of money into the sports space. And you would imagine that FTX is probably giving Tom Brady, Giselle, and Steph Curry some equity in the company, or at least some some Bitcoin, as you said. When I see FTX, they did a 19-year naming rights deal on the Miami Heat arena, which, first of all, 19 is kind of an odd number, but it tells me they think they're going to be around for a long time if you're doing a 19-year deal with something. Well, so when you think about um, FTX, they actually have a really unique story because they, I believe the numbers on them were, uh, I think they've spent about $500 million so far on sports sponsorships. So in a absurd amount of money, right? A lot, a lot of money. But when you think about the general market dynamic and who has profited the most, so I'll just run you through a quick example. Last year, all crypto assets, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, every crypto asset you can think of, including stable coins and tokens, right? All crypto assets were valued at about $400 billion, we'll call it. Today, they're valued at $2.5 trillion. Wow. So massive increase of capital over the last year uh, from an asset perspective. Obviously, the, the people that have invested in these assets have profited. Bitcoin's up about 400% this year. Ethereum is up 900% this year. So the individual investors have profited. But the people, as we know, that own the pipes usually profit the most. FTX, being an exchange, has profited a lot. In 2020, uh, I think they did about $85 million of revenue. This year, they'll do a billion dollars of revenue, right? So over wow. 10xing their revenue on a one-year basis. Massive, massive, massive growth, um, not only here domestically in the United States, but internationally as well. So when it comes to uh, buying the naming rights to the Miami Heat, I actually saw a funny quote. Sam Beckman Free is their CEO. I believe he's the youngest billionaire in the United States now. He's you know he's under 30 years old. He's 27, 28 years old, uh, and he's worth 25 billion dollars, I believe. So he's done really well personally. But he made a joke uh, when asked you know a similar question. Someone hinted at uh, their inability that they may not be here in 20 years, and he said, um, "I don't want to sound like a jerk, but we have enough money to pay for this deal right now." <laughs> right. And, and, and it's funny because it's true. Right. They've done extremely, extremely well um, and they've signed uh, big deals, but they also have a lot of capital. And what do you do with capital at the year end? You start reinvesting in your business to avoid paying taxes and all that stuff. So we've seen them do a deal with Miami Heat. We've seen them do a deal with uh, the esports franchise TSM. We've seen them do a deal with Major League Baseball. Uh, you mentioned Tom Brady, Stephen Curry, uh, Aaron Jones. A bunch of other athletes have done individual deals with them, but also. These are fascinating deals, in my opinion, to look at from an ROI perspective, because um, I went to uh, I live down here in Miami. So I went to the season opener uh, of uh, the Miami Heat this year. So FTX's first game as a new arena sponsor. Every fan that walked in the arena, 20,000 fans, was given a T-shirt with a QR code on it. And when you scan the QR code, you were given an NFT. And the, the, the interesting part behind it is that NFT was distributed to you on the FTX platform. So to get the NFT, you had to go mm -hmm. sign up for FTX, you had to download the app, and then you downloaded the NFT from there. So maybe 5%, maybe 1%, maybe 10%. I don't know how many people ended up downloading it, right? But you start to see if they start doing these things every game from an ROI perspective, it's really good. And then I think the other thing that people don't realize about crypto uh, sponsorships in general is crypto companies, like other financial institutions, Robinhood, et cetera, pay a lot of money to acquire customers. 
similar to sports betting, right? If you're interested in the sports space, you know, sports betting companies, they pay a lot of money. Sometimes it's $100, sometimes it's $500, sometimes it's $1,000 to acquire a customer based on what they believe the long-term and lifetime value of that customer might be. Crypto companies are no different. So literally at that game, uh, during, I believe it was the third or fourth quarter, maybe in between, they, instead of giving away, uh, you know, whatever they would give away at a typical sporting event, they stopped the game and they said, hey, everyone in section, for example, 312, you're going to be given $500 of crypto through FTX, like download the app to collect it. every single person in that section, right? So they just have a, a very unique approach now from an ability to, uh, to to sign up customers and start to acquire these customers. So I think this is really just the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to crypto. And as we know, um, sports after last year due to COVID, every league was down massively on the revenue side. So they're all looking for new sponsorships uh, and, and people that have a lot of money to spend in the space. And I think crypto fits that bill. Wow, that's great information. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, Dogecoin. And I know that the Dallas Mavericks accepted Dogecoin for a little bit, I think at their team store, maybe even for tickets. That was started kind of as a joke. Explain what that is and how a currency like that actually takes off. Yeah, I, I again, um, I, I like to be very clear about my bias in these situations. And my bias is very much towards Bitcoin. I own Bitcoin personally. It's the only crypto that I actually own. Um, I don't mess around with any of the other stuff. I don't necessarily own any NFTs either, uh, but Bitcoin specifically is the one that I usually uh, talk about and go off of. But what I will say about uh, Dogecoin and Shiba Inu is um, the, the founders are not, uh, they don't shy away from the fact that they were created as meme coins. Right? They were created as uh, a way to rally around a community. They don't necessarily have any uh, utility or value, etc. Uh, but what we've seen is that there is a lot of people speculating on the future price of these assets. Right, So it's no different from what happened with GameStop earlier in the year uh, or AMC or any of these other equities that people were just speculating on. So Dogecoin is another. The latest one is Shiba Inu, uh, which has, I believe, almost a $40 billion market, uh, yeah, $40 billion market cap. Uh, which is bigger than some banks. And uh, it was literally created as a joke. So these are tokens that um, I personally am not invested in and I don't recommend other people do. But if it's something where uh, you know you want to look at it from an entertainment perspective, I, along with a bunch of other people, spend uh, spend money on dumb entertainment things all the time, right? I buy movies, I buy certain things, and, and I get enjoyment out of them. So if these are assets that you buy for the entertainment aspect, and it's kind of a, a small portion of your disposable income. Sure, that's fine. Uh, but but from a long term investment perspective, it's just not something that I've uh, I've looked at. All right, last question for you, and you don't need to give out specific investment advice, but we have a number of sports business college students that listen to the show, young executives. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're like, you know, I want to invest in something, but I'm a little bit shy about doing it or I don't really know how to invest. Give me two or three tips on if you're a young person and you want to start that portfolio, what's the best way to go about it? So I think actually um, this may be an unpopular opinion, but my, my thought around this is just to get invested, right? What we've seen in the United States is that um, I believe the number is, and, and someone can uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe the number is that 78% or 80% of Americans today live paycheck to paycheck, right? So almost 80%, nearly 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And 45% of Americans hold no investable assets, literally don't hold any investable wow. assets. So what that means 
is that when there's inflation and the government is printing money, those are the people that get hurt the worst. So you can literally look. Uh, I don't want to go too deep in the history of money, but President Nixon took us off the gold standard 50 years ago, which essentially just means that the U.S. dollar was pegged to gold uh, and we removed ourselves from that. So then the government was able to print money without having ample amounts of gold behind it or equal amounts of gold behind it. And what you've seen, if you look at any charts from an historian perspective, is that the wealth inequality gap has widened tremendously. And it happens during periods of time where we print a lot of money. So look at the last year or two years. We've created three and a half or five trillion dollars here in the United States. And what that has done is that it has made the rich richer and the poor poor. Why does that happen? So there's really high inflation levels around things that people spend money on, right? Gas, transportation, used cars are up 45% this year, right? So used car is nearly 50% more expensive this year than it was last year. So all the things, uh, shelter, energy, et cetera, that people spend money on are up a lot in price, are, are, are much more expensive this year. But they aren't getting uh, equivalent raises at their job to represent this. And the reason why the wealth inequality gap widens is because that inflation and that money printing makes asset prices go higher. So people that have assets are invested benefit from it because it makes the stock market go higher. I think we've hit a, a new all-time high on the S&P one out of every four days this year. So literally 25% of the trading days this year, we have hit a new all-time high. So people that own assets have benefited a lot. And the people that don't not only do not get the benefit of owning assets, uh, but their, their, their bank account is actually depreciating in value because of this inflation. So I would say it's just getting invested is number one, whether it's in, in digital currencies, whether it's in equities, whether it's in bonds, real estate, et cetera. Number one is getting invested. And then I think if it's uh, digital assets specifically in Bitcoin, the best thing you can do is just to buy a little bit, right? And it teaches you a bunch of things. You start learning about it because once you have some skin in the game, you start to realize uh, what matters, what's important, et cetera. And I would just read as much as you can. I, I'm a big believer that it takes thousands of hours to really understand this stuff in a deep level. Um, so on the Bitcoin front, like read the white paper. The white paper, for those that don't know, uh, is how Satoshi Nakamoto introduced Bitcoin to the world. It's actually, uh, we're recording this on October 31st, so it's a, it's the uh, anniversary. It's Bitcoin's birthday today, necessarily. And so that's something you can read. The Bitcoin Standard is a very, very, very good book that looks at it from a macroeconomics perspective. Um, but I would say, yeah, just like if you're if you're new uh, to investing and you just want to start learning about markets and that kind of stuff, it's just get invested and then start reading and learning as much as you can. Joe Popliano, investor and founder of Huddle Up. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. Sign up for his free daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com. Joe, this was such an enlightening conversation. I've been wanting to do this for a long time with someone. Turns out you're the perfect person that I could have done this with, so I can't thank you enough. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I had a really good time. appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. We've collaborated with our friends at Parish Project to create high-quality sports business radio clothing, including hoodies, long-sleeve t-shirts, and short-sleeve t-shirts. Each item comes in five different colors and a variety of sizes. These items are super comfortable, and you can wear them on Zoom calls, while working out, or when you're lounging around the house. Sports Business Radio has loyal listeners around the world. We'd love for you to post a picture rocking your Sports Business Radio gear, Tag us on Instagram or Twitter if you post. Get your official sports business radio gear by going online to parishproject.com. That's parishproject.com. P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio 
Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.